Welcome to Engineering Career Journeys, brought to you by Australia-wide Engineering Recruitment. This is a podcast series where we interview prominent senior engineers from across Australia and delve deeper into their career journeys and how they got where they are today. We hope that this will inspire and assist up-and-coming engineers in planning their own careers. Now over to your host, David Armstrong, General Manager of Australia-wide Engineering Recruitment. Hello and welcome to today's conversation with Dean Whiteley. Dean is a mechanical engineer with 27 years of consulting engineering experience in the property and buildings industry. Dean graduated from RMIT as a mechanical engineer in 1993 before taking up various roles responsible for the design and delivery of buildings projects, both within Australia and overseas. Dean's expertise is in the field of building services engineering and the management of engineering teams responsible for the delivery of buildings projects across sectors such as defense, transport, telecommunications, sports and recreation, commercial office, education, residential and retail. More recently, Dean was a director of Irwin Consult, a Melbourne and Darwin-based engineering consultancy firm that was acquired by global engineering company WSP. Dean's current role is principal director at WSP, one of the world's leading engineering professional services consulting firms. Dean, hello, and thanks so much for agreeing to join us. Thank you for having me, David. Dean, what compelled you to become a mechanical engineer? To be honest, David, when I was having to make decisions about my career in in year 12 and having to decide on my university preferences, I was pretty unsure about really what I wanted to do. But I did have an inclination and my strengths were certainly around the mass subjects and physics and science and so forth. So it was an inclination for me to head in a career path that was down that technical area, which, which is what engineering was. But also, my father was a mechanical draftsperson. I recall growing up, he had his office in the um, back room of the house with a, a big old drawing board, and he used to design conveyor systems for power plants, paper machine facilities, conveyancing that you know, transports coal and so forth. So I had a little bit of little bit of exposure to what mechanical engineering was about, and there was a, a little bit of interest there. But I, but I can't say I had a, a passion or a definite desire at that point in time to be an engineer. So I, I did ultimately go to RMIT and graduated as a mechanical engineer. And again, once once you've got your degree in mechanical engineering, it's such a wide ranging field. And I was, I was still pretty uncertain about exactly what I wanted to do. So I, I put my CV forward to a couple of employment agencies and ultimately got an opportunity for an interview and, and landed a job. And the job I got was at a, a building services consultancy firm. They specialised in sort of food and beverage industry. They industrial, they did design some large you know, paper machine facilities and so forth. And, and all of those developments generally have buildings associated with it. So I was employed as a mechanical services engineer designing heating, ventilation and air conditioning systems. And that's where it all started. And today, I'm still very much involved in that industry. So obviously, it was a, the right decision at the time. Fantastic. Fantastic. And thank goodness for good recruitment companies. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Dean, what was the biggest turning point which accelerated your career? I think um, probably about four years into my career when I, when I decided to, to make a change. Although the company I worked for was a, a good company, successful company, I enjoyed what I was doing. 
and, and I learned a lot in those early stages. Uh, as I mentioned before, uh, being in sort of a, a building services engineer, that company's core business wasn't buildings. It was in the food and beverage industry or industrial industry. So buildings was sort of a, um, a bit of a, a supporting role, if you like, to what their core business was. So I made the decision to move to a more prominent company, one that specialised in buildings as their core business. And they were one of the leading companies in Australia, one of the largest they had offices all around Australia and did some really prestigious type projects. And I, being a sports nut at the time, I played football and cricket probably still playing football at that time, about the age of age of 27. And I had the opportunity, the first job I worked on with this new company was to work on the um, Victoria Stadium Docklands project, which is now Marvel Stadium. So I got involved in the air conditioning design for some of the corporate box facilities and, and some of the restaurant facilities at that stadium and got involved in construction phase works as well. But pretty soon after that, I had probably my greatest break was the the company I worked for was part of a consortium that was awarded the design role on the Wembley Stadium project in the UK. Fantastic. (laughs) And our company designed the mechanical services as part of that consortium. The Sydney office at the time was doing some of the structural design. I think there there was a US firm doing the electrical services and the lead company in that engineering consortium was a UK-based firm that did part of the structural design and, and what they call public health, which is fire protection systems and, and hydraulic systems. So that particular year, again, working out of Mamba, I had seven trips to the UK, the opportunity to work with world-renowned architects that were involved in that project and also the other international-based engineering firms. So we would fly in there for a trip. I think I had yeah, seven trips over that particular 12-month period, anywhere between one and four weeks, where we would collaborate, coordinate our designs with the other consultants, participate in briefing sessions with the client, presentations and so forth. And then we would go back to our home office and work within our own teams to develop the next phase of the design. So that was just a really, that was a really fabulous uh, experience for me to be able to get involved and and work with engineers and architects from all around the world. Um, And also I learned a lot about, you know, working remotely on that project. It was pretty unique back then for designs to be undertaken by consultants, different locations of the world, different geographies, a bit of ahead of its time, but um, it's pretty much the norm nowadays. So I really learned how to work in that sort of remote environment. Also recognising importance of face-to-face meetings with with people you're working with. I mean, those coming together in the side office and meeting the people you're actually designing those jobs for. I mean, that personal, building those personal relationships makes a huge difference. So then that project went on hold after about a year because of some funding issues. It did kick off a bit later on and I wasn't involved in the next phase of it. But when it went on hold, I then had an opportunity to work on a, a stadium in China. Again, involved international travel interested in trying to explain your, your design to the Chinese with interpreters. <laughs> it was a, quite an interesting experience. And from there, I jumped onto another very prestigious project, and that was the MCG Northern Stand Redevelopment. And I spent four years on that. So I suppose that was really the turning point in my career. That, that Those early days at that particular company, I really, really got a passion and, and I really got a love for what I was doing. I loved to be an injury involved in these great buildings projects that you could sit back afterwards and be really proud of being part of. What brilliant projects to be working on. The sense of achievement when project completion was realised must have been enormous. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I go to the MCG now and you know, watch the Demons play and uh, look across or sit in the, sit in the Northern Stand and, and feel really proud that I was, uh, had an integral part of it. 
Oh, I'm sorry about the demons. <laughs> but the rest of the story was good. <laughs> oh, they're coming good. Have you had many mentors along the way, Dean? And if so, how much have they helped you? Yeah, I haven't had any formal mentors as such, but I've certainly certainly learned a lot from a lot of people I've interacted with and, and worked with over the time. But it's interesting. I haven't, haven't actually had a formal mentor as such, but I have actually been a mentor myself for other engineers over the journey. So it's something that I've, I've actually enjoyed doing being a mentor and being able to provide some career advice to younger younger engineers and, and on reflection I think you know maybe early in my career I, I think it would have been a good idea to seek out some some mentors that could help me with a bit of career guidance early on but yeah the people I've worked with I mean the company I've been very fortunate I mean I've worked at companies where they had really impressive CEOs or senior leaders colleagues I've worked with that have had a vast amount of experience and to be able to tap into that knowledge I've had some really good bosses along the way and I, mean, I suppose just um, reflecting on one particular person it was a boss I had he was probably my boss for a couple of years and he taught me that engineering was more than just a technical profession it was more than just about doing calculations and preparing designs he really taught me the the value in people leadership and being able to to manage people motivate people set career goals and objectives and he was a fabulous leader and I've really tried to take what I learned from him on board in the way I lead people, lead my teams and provide guidance to people. Isn't that great? So you're using that to help others? Correct. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like I'm certainly a line manager and I have been for a lot of staff over my time. And I just see the, the value I can provide if I can part and, and make it more about them. If I can impart my knowledge and skills and experiences to help them develop, it's really a satisfying thing to be part of. How important were postgrad studies for you in order to reach your level? I didn't do any postgrad studies uh, as such. I wasn't someone that have to admit, I didn't really enjoy studying when I was at, when I was at the university and, and doing year 12. I enjoyed learning and I certainly have been involved in a lot of self-development activities uh, over the journey. But yeah, post-grad studies as such is something that I never really contemplated. And looking back, I, I don't necessarily think in, in terms of way my career's progressed that it would have specifically benefited me. But certainly, I, I recognise that it might work for some. I mean, some engineers might find a lot of benefit in doing post-grad studies, but not necessarily one for me. So you mentioned development. How, how much personal development then have you been involved with in order to remain abreast of industry changes, for example? I've done a fair bit of that over the journey. I've been fortunate to work at companies that have some really good performance and development programs and have been able to offer in-house training and also the companies I work for typically have had budgets to, to send staff on external training programs. And again, I mean, pretty much throughout my career, there's always been a professional development program in place where we set our one-year goals, our three-year goals and so forth. And that continually gets reviewed. But I must say that even though those programs are in place at most larger organisations now, you really need to be self-motivated <laughs> to take advantage of those opportunities. And I think in, early on in my career, I probably didn't take it as seriously or spend as much time on self-development as what I should have. Don't get me wrong, I, I learned a lot on the job and I, I was you know, sometimes you just get so focused on delivery of the next project and you're under a fair bit of work pressures in, and your time poor. And sometimes you'd sort of neglect those opportunities to take up those learning and development opportunities. But I think the penny dropped probably halfway through my career and I really made an effort of, of creating space in my week or year 
to focus on myself and take up some of those opportunities. Is it something that you proactively encourage those that you mentor to continually seek personal development programs? Absolutely, yeah. No, no, definitely. I, I certainly encourage that. And I think it's even the benefit of the companies too, the, the workforce. Because if, if you're upskilling your people and creating new competencies, it's going to actually benefit the company as well as the, well as the individual. So uh, as a leader, I, I always support my staff to, to seek out and, and spend time on personal development. Excellent. What's one common myth about your profession, Dean, that you'd like to debunk? I suppose one comes to mind is, is that it's not a, a male-only profession. I mean, I think yep. if you look at the numbers and certainly in the earlier years, I mean, it's very heavily weighted towards males in terms of the, the ratios. But there's no reason that females can't make tremendous engineers and, and be really good leaders. And I think that whole diversity piece about not, not just gender equality and diversity, but the whole diversity piece. I think any organisation that has a diverse workforce diverse ideas are going to come up with better overall solutions and innovative solutions. So I think you know, having females in industry is, is important. And I've worked with tremendous females over my time and some of the best engineers I've, I've worked with. And, and I certainly, I've got a daughter. She showed a little bit of interest in engineering, but she's sort of a passion for more of the health sector. But if I did have a daughter and, and they showed any interest in engineering, I think it's a fabulous time for females to get involved in engineering. A lot of companies are providing, they've probably recognised that in the past that females may not have had the opportunities that males have had in our professions and there has been a, a marked change and approach over the last I reckon five or ten years where the females are given the equal opportunities to male and are starting to take up some of those leadership roles in, in companies. That's really important isn't it diversity inclusion you know, they're, they're so yep. important aren't they? Absolutely and it's yeah and I just reinforce that fact that you know I, I'm certainly one to recognize that a team of diverse people with diverse thoughts is always going to produce a, a better outcome. Definitely, definitely. Interesting. What was your greatest challenge, Dean, throughout your career and how did you overcome it? Um, there's been lots of challenges over my career. Hard to identify one specific challenge. Um, but a, a recent one was when I decided I'd been at my company for 18 years and it was a very secure position I had and I'm very grateful for the opportunities that that company provided but I wanted to challenge myself and do something differently. I mean the company I worked for was a company of about 6,000 people, big big corporate structure. I was sort of a leader in in the Melbourne or national buildings area. Um, I really had a driving ambition to maybe try to develop and grow something personally myself. So I took up an opportunity to a director role at a smaller engineering consultancy firm where effectively myself and, and four other directors were fully responsible for the operation of the business. And then obviously, there was a fair bit of risk that went with that and also stepping into the unknown. So that was a, a real big personal challenge for me. And how did I overcome that challenge? Well, I, I think I backed myself, essentially. I, I sort of had confidence that all of that sort of background work that I'd done in, in the past, everything I'd learned uh, along the journey, that I was ready to take the plunge. And it was a big plunge because I had to start working with a whole new team of people, I had to build those trusting relationships with, with the team. I also moved, had to start dealing with new clients. You know, I had to sort of, to some extent, leave my clients behind that, that from the previous company I worked at and develop new opportunities within that company. So I just, I just backed myself. I worked really, really hard in developing 
strong relationships and working with the other directors and and we were actually quite successful in in, in growing that company over over a two-year period any regrets not really none at all no if i had my time again i don't think i would have done anything differently of course there's, there's small elements that you might look back and you might done done things but certainly no regrets mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. you mentioned some significant projects in london china your, your time overseas your international experience how, how important has that been for your career and is it something that you suggest for young engineers to take opportunities to work offshore yeah i mean i, I mean that that overseas travel and working on international projects was was really the springboard for for my career you get a appreciation for how designs are put together in buildings in different locations and and it is different to australia you get an appreciation of the different codes and the standards that are used, the way projects are managed, the way you deal with your local authority issues in different countries. So it's all, and then you see the different ways that they go about things. And, and some of that you can start applying to your own local projects where you see good ways of doing things. You can then learn something and apply, apply back home. But just, yeah, just that whole opportunity to travel to, and, and often, often they're, um, they're high pressure projects. And you're under a lot of pressure, but you build those really good relationships with people on the other side of the world, and you and you're all working as one as a team, and they, and they can be really satisfying. Uh, those projects, and I I just loved I loved that opportunity that I was provided. And from what you say, then you picked up some added attributes that were very transferable to local projects as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, it's the level of detail often is, is quite different. They they may use some different systems that we'd use in Australia, which then you think, oh, I hadn't actually thought about that as, a, as an application you could utilise back home in one of my designs. But it, it just opens up a whole lot of range of, of new ideas and opportunities that you may not have been exposed to locally. Dean, what do you wish you had known when you started out? I think when I entered engineering, I really thought it would be a highly technical type of profession. And it would be all about preparing calculations, going through a process of preparing the design in accordance with the local codes and standards and then and then you, you'd come up with the answer which would be the right answer and it'd be one probably one right answer but what I realized really quickly is that there's endless number of solutions and options for any problem you're trying to to resolve and often you can have more than one right answers and there can be a very difference of opinions on what that right answer is and I remember when I when I first started I would you know I'd seek some guidance from an engineer and start proceeding with my design on a on a particular direction and then a day or two later or a week later or a couple of weeks later another very senior engineer would would look over your shoulder and have a look at what you're doing and and tell you oh no that's not the way to do it this is the way it should be done so that actually can be quite a bit of a stressful situation uh, to be in when you get you know very competent senior engineers giving you two different views on on what the right solution is so what i found out and what i give advice to young engineers at the moment is that yeah certainly seek opinions from others and then also do some research yourself on what you what you think the right solution is and also go back to the client brief and understand what your client's business drivers are and then once you've got all of that information, make a decision and own it as yours and then defend that decision. And I find that was not a bad technique to sort of avoid that situation of being sort of caught in the middle of two different engineers' ideas about what the right solution is. And the other thing I wish I had have known when I started was that, yeah, they're the whole people aspect, building building relationships with client, which is so important in our industry. I mean, the easiest way to, to win work is to win repeat work. And part of that is developing those long-lasting trusting relationships with clients, which is so important in the consulting industry world. 
And also just around the ability to communicate as an engineer is really important. Our clients want to be taken through the journey of presented with options, taken through uh, the pros and cons. So engineers need to be able to communicate and articulate their solutions, which often are quite highly technical, but you've got to be able to convey it in a, in a way that the, the client actually understands. And, and also it's really important to listen to your clients. Coming back to the situation where there's more than one, one right answer, engineers have a habit sometimes of thinking they know what the right answer is for their client. And what they really should be doing is, is listening, understanding what their business drivers are, and then making a decision that's best best for them because sometimes the, the most technically advanced or most expensive solution may not be the right solution for, for that particular client. The client interface is so important, isn't it, for engineers? Do you have any specific advice that you mentioned listening? What other advice do you have for, for up-and-coming engineers in regards to being able to interface with clients? I think there's a few aspects to that that I'll advise. One is create that personal relationship. That could be just getting on the phone, grabbing a coffee with a client, have a bit of a chat about <laughs> uh, about how things are going and, and do that you know, on, a, on a semi-regular basis just so you know that client knows you're interested in them and, and their business and offer to help. And and again, listen to, listen to what their, their needs are. Uh, ask them, get a really good understanding of, of their business. Yeah, it's, it's a very small industry and you, you never know when you're going to pop up. I mean, and people change roles in the industry also. So I think um, it's not unusual for um, even, even someone you work with becomes your client or, or vice versa. So sure. just getting those uh, strong relationships, long lasting is really important. Fantastic. Which streams of engineering do you think provide the best career opportunities for engineers moving into the future? That's a, a really difficult question, David, because the world is changing so quickly uh, and the impact that technology is having on the world. Just look at, look at things like um, you know, driverless cars soon. We're going to have Uber Air. There's, there's electric vehicles and the impact that's going to have on the infrastructure um, is going to be significant. And you look at the pandemic we're going through at the moment, like coronavirus. Who, I mean, that, who knows what impact that's going to have on the way we go forward. But what I'd say is that I think that the engineering profession is going to be at the forefront of coming up with solutions to those challenges. And I think it's a really exciting time to be an engineer. So I think, you know, certainly anything in that down the route of technology is going to be, you're going to be pretty safe. But ultimately, I think you need to follow something that you have a passion for, have a real interest in. If you have that, you're going to work harder. You're going to seek out to learn more and you're ultimately going to be, going to be more successful. Great advice. Dean, you've been very generous with your time. I have one final question, which is what advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a career similar to yours? Yeah, if, if someone wanted to get involved in the building service in, industry, I'd start off by doing lots of research. There's so much information on the internet nowadays. Find out what engineers in that building service consultants, engineers actually, actually do. There's a vast array of information there. I would potentially look at joining take up a membership in a professional organisation such as being a mechanical engineer, it would be something like ERA, being the Australian Institute of Refrigeration, Air Conditioning and Heating. There's other versions of that. There's ASHRAE, which is the UK version of that. There's SIBSI. They have lots of good literature and, and publications, which really would give you an insight into mechanical engineering in, in the buildings industry. And I think if you've got an opportunity to attend an interview, do your homework on the company you're applying to get a job with and ask lots of questions about 
the company about their professional development programs. And don't forget, the, the opportunity to interview is also not just to be interviewed, but also to ask lots of questions of your company to make sure that you are going to make the right decision. And when you do get your first job, have a learning mindset. I think early in your career, you should try to get a broad range of experience and not necessarily only in the discipline you're in. So in my instance, as a mechanical engineer, learn about electrical engineering, learn about fire protection engineering, have an understanding of structural design and architecture because the best engineers I find uh, in our industry is they have a broad, broad understanding of, of the other disciplines. You, you don't have to be experts in, in those disciplines, but just have a, have, have a broad understanding. I think ask lots of questions, seek opinions from others and be willing to make a few mistakes along the way. Sometimes you learn more, more from your mistakes. And we spoke about it before, I think having a professional development plan day one and, and keep regularly updating that on a, on a regular basis, just so you keep focused on what you want to achieve in the future. And I think be patient too. Don't try to climb the corporate ladder too quickly. So you need to get a, a good base knowledge across the technical aspects of engineering and then just move up to the next level as you're ready for it and just work hard and, and follow your passion. And the demons. And the demons, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Dean, it's been lovely talking with you. Thank you so much for your time and, and to listen to your story. Dean Whiteley, Principal Director at WSP. Thanks very much. Thank you, David. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast episode of Engineering Career Journeys. Please like, subscribe and provide feedback. Australia-wide engineering recruitment can be found at australiawide.com.au or on our LinkedIn page. We look forward to presenting more interviews with interesting engineers shortly.